I'm going to jump right into the Word of God because that's what we came for today, amen? I, um, I want to talk to you for just a few minutes today on this subject. Um, uh, yes, yes, it's been hard, but, but how many know God's still good? It's been hard. How many, how many know we're, we're getting ready to roll right out of 2020? Y'all ready for that? Yeah, how many are going to sit on the, when you get to about 1159 on that last night, you're going to start singing, na, 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 na. But how many know through it all, God's been faithful? God's been faithful. And I want to I talk to you for a few minutes about, about how to reset our minds. I want to tell you a story from Isaiah chapter 40, one of the greatest prophets who's ever lived. I will preach for about three hours. Typically, I have to preach three times on Sunday. Today, I got one, so I've got three hours to go. I promise you'll be out for dinner. Isaiah was a great prophet. He was very intuitive. Uh, Isaiah was, was in touch with the people he led. He was in touch with the God that he served. And um, I want to give you the context of the scripture that I'm going to read to you in Isaiah 40 because Israel was at a, at a critical period of their, of their life and they're they about to, about to um, go into captivity. And because an intuitive leader knows the culture and the thought process of his people, he begins to speak into the way they think. And he begins to, to reset their thinking before they go into captivity because he knows the power of our thoughts. He understands as a man thinks, so is he. So this prophet begins to reset the thinking, the wrong thinking of the people that were about to go through a hard time. And he says, why do you complain? Why do you say my ways are hidden from the Lord and my cause has been disregarded by God? Anybody ever been like that? You've, you, ever, you ever been in a place where you felt like where you were, even God didn't know what you were going through? Then he goes on and, and he says this. He says, my cause is disregarded by God. Why do you say that? Then he goes on and he says, he says this, King James Version says, your just cause. You're ju-, in other words, It's as if you didn't have a real reason. He said, no, you've got a real reason. What you're going for real, the problems that you're dealing with are real problems. They're not not easy issues to to deal with. He said, but why would you say even God doesn't know what you're you're going through? You ever been in a time in your life where, where you felt like you were going through something big, but people around you didn't acknowledge the problem that you were having? You ever, come on, you ever been around somebody, you had a big problem, they acted like it wasn't a problem, you wanted to slap them? I remember years ago, we used to go to um, Mexico. Every year, we'd drive from Roswell, Georgia to Monterey, Mexico. And um, our first year, we rolled into to Monterey, and we get to the border in McAllen, Texas. We take about 40 or 50 kids inside to, um, to get their paperwork processed to get across the border. There's a table of, um, of Hispanic authorities, and this one man, I'll never forget his face, he looked at me and he said, all the children, no cross the border today. I'm like, no, we're crossing the border today. We've driven a long way to cross the border. We've got all of our paperwork. We're crossing. No cross at the border today. I go back to Steve, and because everybody knows me, Steve, Nathan, nor Chuck, none of us would have been successful as youth pastors without Steve Allen. <laughs> Steve was the real youth pastor. We just got all the, we just got all the praise for it. I said, Steve, what are we going to do? So Steve gave me a $50 bill, said, go bribe him. So... <laughs> So I walk up to the table and I, and I said, 
um, I've got birth certificates. And how many know it's a real problem when you've got, when you've got a man's 14-year-old daughter going to Mexico? And the Mexican says, no, cross the border today. And he's acting as if it's not a big deal. It's a, it's a big deal. So I pull a $20 bill out of my wallet. And he says, I no cross the border today. So I turn around and go back out like I'm talking to Steve again. And I come back and I pull a $50 bill out of my pocket. Oh, welcome to Mexico. Welcome to Mexico. <laughs> I'll never forget that day because my heart was pounding because I had all these kids. I was responsible for all these daddy's daughters. It was a big deal to me, but when he acted like it was no big deal to him, it set me in motion. Now, here's what I've learned about, about big problems in, in your life, maybe in, 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 I know in my life, and that is, that is this. So, so often, I can, I can get so focused on the pain or get so focused on the problem that's going on around me that I forget about the promise that's on the inside of me. Sometimes if I'm not careful, I can get, I can get so focused on, on what's coming against me that I, that I forget who and what is on the inside of me. Last time I read, the Bible says, greater is he that's in me than anything I face in the world. But problems have a way of changing the, the trajectory of, of, of our mindsets. And Isaiah comes into these people's lives at this season and he begins to talk to them about, about fixing their focus. He reminds them that the Bible says if it's good, if it's pure, if it's praiseworthy. He says those are the kind of things that you need to think on. Here's what Isaiah knew that we need to know and that is this. Isaiah knew that your thoughts govern everything in your life because, because your thoughts will produce your words and your words will produce your actions and your actions will produce your habits and your habits will produce your character and your character will determine the destiny that you leave on this planet and everybody wants to leave the right destiny so yeah you know it's going to be hard so many times as believers as followers of Christ people believe that because we're Christ followers because we have God on our side because greater is he only in only inside of me that life ought to be easy but how many know life isn't always easy Remember what Jesus said? In this world, you're going to have what? You're going to have some trouble. And we think, well, there ought to be some allowance for being a follower of Jesus. No, listen. The allowance is he lets us breathe his air. He lets us live on his planet. I always wanted my son to ask me. My, my son is, is right. I left this place in 1999 with a six-month-old daughter. I come back with a 20-year-old daughter and a future son-in-law and a 19-year-old son. And I love having you guys with me. And my wife, my wife... 29 and still fine, baby. <laughs> Love having you with me. Now think about, I think about these, these, these issues that, that, that we face and how we think there's allowances for, for following Christ and thing, things ought to be easier. And, and I always wanted my son to ask me for an allowance because you know what I was going to tell him when he asked me for an allowance? Son, you already get an allowance. Well, what's my allowance? I allow you to live in my house. <laughs> but you know what? There's... There's, see, some, see, some of y'all thought you never taken notes in church and you're going to write, that was good, right? I'm going to write that down. My son ever asked me. But how many know sometimes life is hard? And when life gets tough, it's when we need to reset our minds. It's what the prophet was doing to the whole nation of Israel. He was reminding them that, yeah, sometimes life does get hard, but the God we serve is still very, very good. 
But you know, if your life is, is anything like, like, like mine, sometimes I, I'm guilty of preaching the promises of God without preaching the pain that comes with life. But you know, whenever I read the Bible, one of the things I always find is that almost every promise has pain attached to it. And when you, you read through, through scriptures, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, it says, cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Well, that's a great and mighty promise, but you know what it tells us? Listen, before you can, before you can, can, can uh, experience the care of God, you're going to have to experience some anxiety in your life. Yeah, think, think about that. The Bible says in Psalms chapter, chapter 9, you remember it says the Lord is a refuge for what? The oppressed. You know what that means? Before we can experience the refuge of God, there's going to have to be some oppression that we live through in life. He says he's a stronghold in times of trouble, which means, yeah, we get a stronghold called God. But before we can appreciate the stronghold that we have, we're going to have to experience some trouble in, in our lives. One of my favorite passages that reminds me not to always preach the promises without recognizing the pain that comes along with the promises. It is 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 12. The Bible says, my grace, how many love the grace of God? Is sufficient for you. You grateful for God's grace? But here's what that means. To appreciate God's grace, you're gonna have to go through seasons that you need God's grace. See, you have, you have to remember that, that all the promises of God are precious, but almost all the promises of God come attached to a little bit of pain in our own life. I mean, no, life, life is hard. Marriage is hard. Somebody say, marriage is hard. <laughs> some, some of you men, you wouldn't even say it. You just, look, not with you, baby. You love, I love you. I love you, too. <laughs> not, easy peasy with you, baby. How many remember when you first got married? It was like, oh, this is going to be a piece of cake. And like three weeks in, like, why are you still here? <laughs> he won't pick up his dirty clothes. He used to talk. Now he watches TV. Parenting's hard. Anybody, anybody realize parents? How many remember whenever you, whenever you, before you had kids, you'd see people in the grocery store and you, I'd never treat my kid that way. I'm never going to say because I told you so. <laughs> and then by the time your kid's three years old, because I told you so. You know what I mean? My, my kids, they reached 18 and I thought, baby, we've succeeded. They lived, we live success as parents. But life's hard. Pa ministry's hard. Yeah. Work, work can be hard. Life can, can be hard. Pandemics are hard. Political tension, racial tension, it's, 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 it's hard. But Isaiah is teaching us to the power, the, the, the purpose of, of resetting, resetting our, our minds. Because it is so, so easy is to just quit when trouble comes. It's so easy to quit when, when problems come. But I think part of, the, part of the problem that we deal with too often in our culture is that we quit too soon. We, we, we quit in the pain. We don't, we don't progress all the way through to the promise. But how many know there's always a promise? And there's, there's a great story in the Bible. I don't have time to tell you the whole thing now, but if you ever want to read an interesting story, Genesis chapter 11 and 12 is a story about a guy named Terah. How many remember Abraham? Abraham's the father of our faith, right? Remember, he was Abram. God changed his name to Abraham. His father was Terah. Let me tell you an interesting story. Read, read it for yourself, Genesis 11 and 12. God called Terah and his family when Abraham was a young boy, a young man, 
called him out of the Ur of Chaldees, which is where their family lived, told him to go to Canaan, which would be the promised land. He takes his family from Ur of Chaldees on the way to Canaan, and he goes through a valley, a, a valley called Haran. And the Bible says when he gets to Haran, he stops. Now here's the history, very interesting. Terah had another son whose name was Haran. History tells us, theologians tell us that Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah. And when Terah got his family to Haran on their way to the promised land, the memory of his son who died in front of him was so painful that Terah stopped when God told him to go and he died in the place he stopped and he never made it to the promised land. Now here's what's interesting. Theologians tell us that many believe that Terah was actually supposed to be the father of our faith. But because he quit too soon, he didn't progress all the way to the promised land God took his son, Abram, and made him the father of our faith. It's interesting because the problem too many times is that we quit too soon. God wants us to progress all the way through the problems. He wants us to progress through the pain. He wants us to progress through the hope because on the other side of it, there is always, always, always going to be a promise. But see, here's what we do. So many, so many times we put a period where God says, put a comma. We build a house where God says, no, don't build a house here, build a tent here. We forget that where we're going to is greater than what we're going through. And so often we forget when it feels like God is all we have, we forget that God is all we need and we quit too soon. And, and Isaiah is simply resetting the thinking of people who've been through a different, difficult season and getting ready to go into even a more difficult season. But then he continues, listen to what he says. He says, have you not known, have you not heard that the everlasting God, every time I read this, I think about Isaiah being a big black preacher in a six-button six suit with pinstripes, and, and he's just firing his people up like, have you not heard, <laughs> have you not known that the everlasting God, ha. Yeah, comma, you know what that means, ha. Ha. He's at the everlasting God. He says, the Lord, the creator to the ends of the earth, he never faints, he never gets weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases their strength. Even the youth shall faint and, and they'll grow weary. Listen, he says the young men are gonna utterly fail, but those that wait, listen, say, say wait, say wait, say wait, wait, say it again, wait. He says, those that wait upon the Lord, he says they'll renew their strength, they'll mount up on wings like eagles, they'll run, they won't grow weary, they'll walk and they will not faint. You remember that song, those that wait upon the Lord. Y'all remember that song? Man, y'all are too white. Come on. We sing that, those that wait upon the Lord. Those that wait upon the Lord. Those that wait upon the Lord. See, you start to feel it now, don't you? You're feeling it, aren't you? 
those that wait upon the Lord. My dad, he used to, he had, whenever I was growing up, he had a, his, his Chuck used to live with us. And, and you remember where my dad's piano was on the other side of your bedroom? You remember that? And my dad would wake up in the morning. I'll never forget, that was my bedroom before you came and made me and my brother share a bedroom. Thank you very much. <laughs> My dad would get up early in the morning. I remember he would start banging on that piano. He'd be going through a hard time at, at, at the church or a hard time just in life. And he was praying about what to do with, with people that he was ministering to. I'll never forget. He would start, I just feel like something good is about to happen. I just feel like something good is on its way. When God's people humble themselves and call on Jesus, they look to him expecting as that. You know what my dad was doing? He was resetting his mind. He was reminding himself that, yeah, life is hard, but God is still good. And when I get my thoughts right, my words will be right. And then my actions will be right. And then my character will be right. And then my legacy will be left right. How many want to leave the right legacy? You know, you got to think right before you can leave the right legacy. And Isaiah is, is challenging these, these, these people and he's reminding them waiting. You know what waiting looks like in the word of God? Waiting, waiting looks like mounting up. Waiting looks like walking. Waiting looks like running. Waiting never looks like standing still in the word of God. But so often I hear people say, well, what are you doing? Where are you serving in ministry? Where are you going to church? What are you doing for? Well, I'm just waiting to hear from the Lord. No, waiting in God's word never looks like sitting still. Waiting always looks like mounting up. Listen, well, where are you going to serve? I don't know. Serve somewhere. Serve at a front door. You can hold the door open for people who've had doors closed on them all week long. You can serve as an usher. You can serve on a prayer team, on a praise team. You can serve in it. Serve somewhere. Don't just wait. Those that wait upon the Lord. They're going to mount up. They're going to run. They're, gonna, they're not going to grow weary. Waiting, listen, waiting never looks like doing nothing. Waiting on the Lord in Scripture is never sitting and doing nothing. Waiting is always aligned with working. We work until God directs us where else to go. Everybody say, I will work while I wait. Ooh, yes. Waiting in the Word of God is... Is, is powerful. You know what I love about this place? I look at this place full. Look, you got people up in the balconies. You got a full room down here. You know why? You know why? Because for years, because for years, Pastor Chuck, he was working. He was working, not waiting on God to fill this place. Well, I'm just going to wait. And when God fills it up, when God brings all the people back, then we'll get busy. No, he was working. Think about this, this building, this property that we're on. Think about this. Think about this. Pastor Bun, we're sitting, this building, this was your vision. This was your faith. That next building in the back, that educational building, that was your vision. That was your fat gymnasium back there in the back. That was your vision. That was your faith. You weren't waiting. You were working because you knew in your heart, you could see in your eyes that, that North Atlanta is filled with people who need Jesus, people who need hope, people who need life, people who need love. You weren't waiting. You were working. Listen, we sit in this room today. You know, many, most of us sit in this room today. 
This this isn't the fruit of your faith. This building that you're in today, this is the fruit of his faith. And the people who stood beside him and believed in the word of God and believed in the potential and believed in the future, you have what you have today because you are standing on the shoulders of the faith of people who went on before you. Listen, and the evidence of your working and not waiting is gonna lay the platform for the generations that are gonna come on after you. See, today, today, Pastor Munn, we're standing on your shoulders your ceiling is our platform. You stand on your shoulders and as high as you can ever go, you said you take where I've gone to and you take it to even higher heights. That's what working and not waiting looks like. It's true, it's true in your families, for your kids. Oh, I could preach for two hours on working for our kids while we're waiting on them to turn their lives toward Jesus. But you know what, you know what waiting, is this okay? Are y'all getting anything out of this today? You say, well, I'm waiting on God. Let me tell you something. The best thing you can do, listen, well, I'm waiting to get through this circumstance. I'm waiting to get through this season. I'm waiting to get involved on this. Listen, the best, listen, don't miss this. The best thing you can do while you're waiting is to serve a purpose bigger than you are. greatest thing you can do in your time of trouble, in your time of pain, in your time of hurt is not to sit back and wait on God to do what you can't do. The greatest way to put your pain in perspective is to serve a purpose bigger than you are. Get involved in a dream team. Get involved in ministry. Get involved in bringing people to church so they can encounter the power of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. Because here's what, here's what I know. Here's what I know. Hundreds of people are gathered up in this room today because 40 years ago, this man right here and this woman had faith to believe that if we would, and a board of, and a board of directors and some men and women around them who believed in the vision, if we would come and build a church on this, on this property, God would use it to bless North Atlanta. You believe that? Say yes. Thank you. Thank you. Out of the mouth of babes, it is so. See, because here's what I know. Here's what I know about, about trouble. Trouble breeds weakness in our lives. You know, when you face trouble, you feel weak. But you know when you experience God's strength is in your weakness. You know, God, God, God isn't made strong whenever you're strong. God's made strong whenever we, feel, whenever we feel weak. And here's what I know about your life. No matter where you are, where, where, no matter where you are, no matter how good you have it, no matter how shined up you are, no matter how put together you are, God will never give you a life that makes him unnecessary. So if you find yourself in a place and you, you feel like you don't need God, you're okay without God, God didn't give you where you are right now. Ooh, amen. Because God will never give you a life that makes him unnecessary. I am, um, uh, I need to, let me, let me move on to a, to a point that I wanna give you about your pain, about problems, about, about hurt, about hard days in our lives. Here's what, here's what God wants, here's what God wants pain to produce in your life. God, God expects for pain to produce partnership in your life. God God expects your pain 
to push you to partnership. How I many know you weren't, you weren't built to go through pain alone? You weren't built to go through life alone. You weren't, you weren't wired to, to make it through life alone. God made Adam, and Adam was good, but God said, he's good, but it's not good. What wasn't good? He was alone. So God created woman, right? All the men said amen for the woman. Amen. Because it wasn't, it wasn't good for him to be alone because he couldn't push through problems. He couldn't push through pain. He couldn't push through hurt by himself. So God made, made woman. And in your life, God didn't, God didn't build you. He didn't wire you. No matter how tough you are, no matter how educated you are, no matter how much you have, God didn't make you. God didn't build you to push through problems alone. God made you. God, in God's place, pain pushes you to partnership. That's why you have small groups in church. That's why you have Bible studies. That's why you have small groups of people who get together and hold each other accountable and, and, and help us to, to make it through those difficult seasons in, in, our, in our lives. You need somebody around you who can, who can push you through your pain so you don't quit on your way to your promise. I mean, you know, if the enemy has his way in our lives, anytime he pushes us to trouble or to hurt or to pain, his goal is to get us to quit before we get through it. Partnership is intended to push you through it. So you get to the promise. And you, don't, you don't give up in, 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 your, in your pain. You need, you, need somebody, you need somebody in your life who can, who can say to you, who can say to you whenever you're going through a heart, Nathan, come here. You need, come here, Nathan. You need somebody in your life who can say, Nathan, I know it's hard right now, but are you closer to Jesus than you've ever been? I know it's hard, but are you closer to Jesus? Nathan, listen, don't you despise anything. Don't you ever despise anything that pushes you, that drives you to the cross. You see what I just did as a partner? I just changed his mindset. I changed his way of thinking. That's what partnership can do in the place of pain because pain will blind you to the promise. But a partner can say, listen, don't, you, don't, don't curse your crisis. Don't you despise anything that pushes you to the feet of Jesus. I know it's hard, but you're going to make it through. We're going to make it through together. We're going to push through. We're not going to quit. We're not going to give up. We're going to make it. But don't you curse your crisis. Don't you despise anything that drove you to the cross of Jesus. That's what partnership can do. That's why pain pushes us to, 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 to partner with, with other people. Pain pushes us to, to partner with Jesus, to, to trust, trust Jesus. Isaiah chapter 40, he keeps going and he says this. He says, listen, those who have no might, he increases their strength. You know what it means? That means one day you're gonna run out of strength, but when you run out of strength, God hasn't. You know what I wanna be true for my life? I wanna be, I wanna be like Peter and John in Acts chapter four. Listen to what the Bible says. It says when they, the crowd, they saw the courage. How many wanna be known for your courage? Come on, how many wanna be known for your courage? He said, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men. The King James Version says that they were ignorant and unlearned. How many know that is not a compliment? <laughs> he says that, that they looked at them and saw they were unschooled, they were unlearned, but they were astonished and they took note that they had been with Jesus. 
You know why? Because their pain pushed them to partnership with Jesus. And when they partnered with Jesus, they found strength in the middle of their weakness. Here's what they were really saying. Peter and John, we know you. We know where you came from. We know your people. You're nothing. You're just ordinary. But now we see you doing what ordinary people ought not be allowed to do. Oh, wait a minute. You've been with Jesus. You ever seen people who were going through hell on earth, but they just kept their joy? Yes. Come on, you ever seen them? You ever seen them? I mean, they go, they, they're going through trouble after trouble, pain after pain, but they still come in. Hey, yeah, I'm good. I'm highly favored, blessed of the Lord. Kept, you ever seen people like that? You took note that they had been with Jesus. Because you know why? Those are people who recognize that their joy is their job. Amen. You know your joy is your job, right? You, listen, Elizabeth, as much as I love you, baby, my joy is not your job. It's not your job to make sure I keep my joy. Chuck, your insecurities are your responsibilities. You and I, we can't depend on the compliments of these people for our security. Our security is our responsibility. Listen, your joy is your job. The Bible says this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to you, right? And the world what? Can't take, here's what that means. If the world, if your spouse, if your boss, if the guy who cuts you off in traffic gets your joy, it's because you gave it to him. Because they don't have the power to take it. Your joy, your job. Trying to figure out where I want to go here. Let me promise you this. If in your pain and in your trouble or in your hurt, you'll, you'll partner with Jesus. I promise you this. I promise you this. That no matter what's going on in your marriage, no matter what's going on in your business, no matter what's going on in your finances, no matter what's going on in your health, no matter what's going on in your education, your hopes, your dreams, no matter what is going on, if you won't get so busy looking at the process, you forget about the promise, you'll make it. Too often we get so focused on the process of getting through what we're going through that we take our eyes off the promise. And it's only then that we give up and we quit. How many know God is waiting to give you his strength? God is waiting for you and I to humble ourselves and admit our weakness so he can show off his strength through. Well, you know that, right? Your daddy wants to give you good gifts, right? Right? 
I remember several years ago, um, my son Harrison was in, I guess, I don't know, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, something like that. And he had a project, science project he had to do. They were studying developing countries and third world countries and um, studying how they use natural resources to, to survive in life. And he comes home and he says, Dad, will you help me with this project? And man, I was so excited that he asked me to help him. With a, it's usually Mama, will you help me? But Daddy, will you help me build this? And, and man, we got all fired up. We went to Home Depot. We started spending money. We started building this thing. I got a picture of it. Look, show that, show that picture if you can, Tracy. This this picture that we that we this was our this was how how people built houses. Go dogs! Come on, give me a go dogs. Somebody, this is how. Come on, PC, give me a go dogs. I know it's a hard it's a hard year, isn't it? Developing. Speaking of developing universities, um, I digress. But we built this baby, look at that. that see that, that, that water bottle up top? That's actually a light bulb that they use to produce light in developing countries to light up their homes. But here's what's so beautiful. When I took Harrison to school that next day, he opened up the back of my car, and he pulled that thing out and he started walking in. And I watched all these other kids looking at him walking by with that big project. And I was just thinking, my son's going, my daddy's better than your daddy. My daddy's better than your daddy. I'll never forget Harrison said, Dad, thank you. Thank you for helping me with that project. And the Lord reminded me, if, he says, if you, Scott, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children when they ask, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts when his children ask of him? Listen, your daddy is waiting for the moment for you to attach your problem, your pain, your hurt, your trouble with his strength so that he can remind you of the promise that's on the other side of whatever it is you're going through. I am... I want to give you this last, last point and then I'm going to close. And that is this. Not only is the pain in our life intended to push us to partnership, partnership with God, partnership with one another, the partnership reminds us that we have a promise on the other side of our problems. But that promise, number three, will always produce power in your life. You remember you have a promise. When you can get your eyes, when you can get your focus on the promise and not the, and not the problem, the promise begins to produce power. Anybody, you guys know what a, what, know what a lever is, right? A lever is, the, a lever is like one of the oldest inventions known, known to man. And a lever, you, you have the fulcrum and then you have the, you have the, the load in and then you have the, 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 the effort end. And imagine that I had a... I had a fulcrum up here on the platform with me and I had a heavy load. Imagine a seesaw, a seesaw. And I had a heavy load down on this end. If I had time, I would use an illustration. That would be fun, but I don't have time. A heavy load at this end and a fulcrum. Imagine God, listen, imagine God as the fulcrum. A fulcrum always gives you power. But if you have the seesaw here and a heavy load at this end and I move the fulcrum all the way down to this end, God is the fulcrum. The, the further I, I move God away from my problem, I can push and I can push and I can push, but I have no power over my problem. But the closer I move God, that fulcrum, to my problem, 
And I, I, there's still, it still requires some effort. How many know it still requires some work? God's not going to do it all for you, right? How many, listen, how many want miracles in your life? Say yes. yes. Listen, obedience always precedes the miraculous. We always want the miraculous. We just don't like the obedience. But you'll never find a miracle in Scripture. You'll never find one where a miracle preceded people's obedience. Even Jesus coming into the world, Mary had to be obedient to see the miraculous. Still take some work. Still got to pray. Still got to push. But the closer I move Jesus to my problem, the more power I have. And I can push and I can push and I can destroy that thing that has come against me because God serves as a fulcrum in your life. Listen, the closer we move God to the issues of our life, the more authority we give God over the issues of our life. But so often we wanna compartmentalize our lives. We wanna keep God over here in this compartment. We wanna keep life over here. You know, this is my family. This is my job. This is God. We come to church. Hey, how y'all doing? I'm good, highly favored, blessed of the Lord, came to pray. I'm on my knees in prayer because, you know, God answers an email, not email. I bless highly favored of the Lord but we come to God's house but we don't get close to God how many know you can you can come to God's house and not encounter God yes you, you realize that you can come and be in God's presence and not encounter his power because God's like a fulcrum. The closer you get him to what it is you're going through, the more authority and power he has over that thing and the more authority and power you have. But you've got to get God close to it. I just, I felt like today there would be, there would be some people who are dealing with some things that they've tried to deal with on their own. Keeping God at a distance. I'm, I'm, I got this. I can handle this. My marriage is going to be, it's going to be okay. And you keep trying to do better, but you hadn't started praying with your spouse. You hadn't started studying God's word with your, with your spouse. I want a better marriage, but you hadn't gotten God closer to where the trouble is. It happens in so many areas of our, of our lives. And here's what I've learned. The closer you get God to your trouble, the more power you have over your trouble. But you gotta bring God in. How many know God's not coming in on his own? God, God will not go where he's not invited. You know that, right? He's a gentleman. He's not gonna invade your space. That's why we sing, Holy Spirit, you're welcomed here. We invite you. I've seen it work in my life. I never forget whenever I met my wife, we used to, Pastor, remember we used to sit up on these chairs right up here on the platform and I'd sit, y'all are okay. I'd sit, I'd sit about right here. I was a youth pastor, so I had to sit on the back row. So I'm sitting right here and, and I remember several, for several weeks, this hot woman kept coming in that back door and she, she'd come in and she'd either sit right over there or she'd sit right back there. And I noticed every week she would sit with this much, much older gentleman. And I'm like, all right, that's either her daddy or her sugar daddy. And I intend to find out which one it is. And after several months of watching this girl walk in, Pastor Munn always did fellowship time. And um, 
He'd say, y'all turn around and shake hands with folks. So I got off the platform and... Can you still pick me up? I said, pretend it's you. I said, I said, how you doing? And I said, well, I'd love to be a tear that's birthed in your eye and roll down your cheek and die on your lips. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say that. I just said, what I, what I, what I, did, say, what I did say was, um, hey, I'm Scott. You don't have to shake hands. I said, hey, I'm Scott. Yeah, I'm Scott. And I, Pastor Mon, he's like, Scott, why are you taking so long to get back up on the platform? And, and I held her hand for, you know, an awkward amount of time. But I noticed she kept staring at me. She couldn't keep her eyes off of me in church. I, like burning a hole through me on stage. But here's what you don't know. During that season, prior to that, I had gone through the most difficult season of my entire life. The deepest level of hurt, the deepest level of pain I'd ever experienced in my life, up to this moment in my life. She, she had just gone through the deepest level of pain that she had ever experienced in her life. She was a Catholic girl. Didn't know a whole lot about the presence of God. But um, Cindy Honeycutt was leading a Christmas, Christmas musical one, one Christmas, and she decided she would bring her niece and nephew. She just moved to the Athens area. She'd bring them to church for rehearsal to give her sister a night off. When she dropped them off right outside those doors, she decided she would wait for a few minutes and take them home later. She walked in the back. She sat right back there on the very back row. Nobody knew her. Nobody knew she was here. But in this room, in this room, she felt something that she had never felt before. It was the presence of God. She goes home and she tells her sister, she'd been going across the street to the Catholic church for, for a long time. Her sister and brother-in-law would come here and she'd go over there and they'd meet for lunch after church. She tells him, I think I'm gonna go back to church with you next Sunday morning. Never really heard the gospel message before. Pastor Munn preaches a sermon about the, the gospel, giving her heart to Jesus. And Elizabeth responds to the message and I'm watching this girl come stand right up here in the altar. I don't know what she prayed, but I know that in that moment, she was bringing God closer to her pain, closer to her problem, closer to her hurt. And I'd been praying that same prayer, God, you've got to get me through this. You've got to help me through this. I'll never, I'll never forget when I saw her standing in the altar, something went off on the inside of me. And you know what I did? Immediately, immediately, I remember thinking, plans he has for me or plans to bless me give me a future and to give me a hope and I wish I had time to tell you the rest of the story but Elizabeth and I both experienced in this place in this same room you're in today 
bringing God closer to the pain opened our eyes to the promise that gave us the power to push through the trouble all the way to the victory. My dad, my dad growing up, he grew up in a home, um, fairly affluent home, high divorce, high addiction, high abuse. My dad's mom divorced his dad whenever she was, he was six years old. She remarried. There's a lot of abuse in the home. She remarried. The second marriage, the man couldn't, couldn't stand my dad's mom. And he wanted to hurt my dad. So he waited on my dad to come home from school one day. He was eight years old. And he waited on my dad to walk in the front door. And he shot himself in the head in front of my dad to get to his, to get to his, to his wife. And my grandmother waited a few years and she married again. She married a man who was a nice enough man. He liked the woman. He just didn't like the kid that came with the woman. And he became abusive story after story after story. My dad turned 17. Somebody took him to church one day and he gave his heart to Jesus and he didn't just get saved. He got radically, radically transformed, radically saved. But he was in a Pentecostal spirit-filled church and he goes back home and he tells his parents what had just happened and they were, they were furious with him. They said, how could you embarrass our family like this? They took a TV out of his room. They took his car away. They said, if you ever go back to that church again, you'll have to walk. My dad felt so much pain, so much hurt, so much trouble, but he knew, he knew somehow as a 17-year-old who had just met Jesus, the only way to get through the pain was to get closer and closer to God. My dad, my dad, listen, my dad never had a ride to church for a year and a half. He never had a ride. He would walk out of his house and he would start walking down his street and somebody, every, every time the doors were open, someone would pick him up and drive him all the way to church. And then someone from church would drive him all the way home. In that season, my dad, that season of trouble, that season of hurt, that season of pain, my dad was wise enough to know that he had to get close to God to get through his trouble. That God was the only thing that would leverage power in his life to get him through what he was going through. And I think back often so many times, who was it that picked my dad up? I've never, I, I don't know who, I have no idea. All I, I don't know if they ever led a small group. I don't know if they ever preached a message. All I know is this. They gave whatever they had. They used whatever they had. They used a car. They used a car to help that young boy get close enough to God so God could get him through his problems. And you know what my dad did? Because he was close enough to God to get the power of God in his life to give him power over his hurt and power over his rejection and power over his loneliness and power over all the problems that he was having and all of the abuse. You know what my dad did? God gave him the power to overcome generational curses of alcoholism, generational curses of abuse, generational curses of divorce, generational curses. You know why? All because of one thing. Because one person had the wisdom to allow their pain to push them into partnership with God and a church. And that partnership reminded them that they had a promise. And that promise reinstilled the power that enabled them to break off everything the enemy wanted to use against them. Some of you are here today, and you know what the enemy would love to do? He would love to reshape your lives so that your legacy isn't what you want it to be. And I only want you to remember one thing about this day, and that is this. 
the legacy you leave will hinge upon the fulcrum of your life. Because the thoughts you think will always determine the words you speak. And the words you speak will always determine the actions that you take. And the actions that you take will determine the character that you live with. And the character that you live with will determine the legacy that you get to leave behind. And the only thing that gives you the power is you letting God in. Not keeping him at an arm's length, but letting God in to the pain, hurt, confusion. The only time you give God power over your situation is when you invite God into your situation. Because he's a gentleman. He'll never go where he's not invited. So if you're here today and you would say, you know what, Scott? There's areas of my life you don't have to bow your head. You don't have to close your eyes. I want everybody looking around. You say, Scott, there's areas of my life that I need the power of God. I've tried to do it myself. I've tried to fix it myself. I've tried to manage it myself. I hadn't, hadn't let God in. Maybe it's because you hadn't trusted God. Maybe it was because you didn't think you deserved God. Maybe it was because you didn't think that God was capable of helping you in the place that you had gotten yourself into. Maybe because you do have character and because you feel like you got myself in, yourself into that mess, you need to get yourself out. And it's not fair to bring God in. I don't know why. You've been waiting for an open door. I'll tell you today, the door's open. If you say to me, Scott, there's some areas of my life that I need to invite him in. I'm weak. I need his strength. And today, I'm inviting him to come near to my pain. Near. I promise you on the other side of loneliness, on the other side of hurt, on the other side of pain, there is a promise, but you'll never get to the promise if you don't invite him in. If you're here and you say, Scott, today, Today, I'm inviting him near. I want you just to stand. Don't forget about who's around you. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. We're going to pray for you in a minute. I just want you to stand. Just wherever you are in the room, just stand. Today, you invite him in. Just stand. Come on, there's more of you. Just stand. Just stand. There's others. Others of you that may be here today and maybe your relationship with Jesus isn't what it, it should be. Maybe what it has been. Maybe you came into the right place today, but you came in the wrong way. I'm going to give you an opportunity because here's what the Bible says. If you acknowledge him, he'll acknowledge you. I'm not going to give you an opportunity to get your life right with Jesus because I'm afraid you're going to die tomorrow. I'm going to ask you to get your life right with Jesus because you've got to live tomorrow. And living with Jesus is a whole lot better than living without Jesus. If you'd say, Scott, I'm not, I'm not where I need to be. I've run from him rather than running to him. And, and today, I need God in my life. Today, I'm ready to give my life to him. If that's you and you're here, 
I want you just to stand. Just stand. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. Just stand. That's you. You feel the Holy Spirit tapping on your heart. You're not right, but you want to be. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, here's where the church becomes the church. Are you ready? Come on, are you ready? The Bible says that Chuck and I have jobs for one reason, and that is to equip people to do the work of the ministry. And this is that work. You ready to work? Say yes. Okay, I want you to turn around and I want you to find somebody. Don't get out of your seat. Just find somebody who's standing. Look around. Find somebody standing. You can stand up if you need to. And then I want you to stretch your hands toward them. Come on, stretch your hands. Everybody stretch their hands towards somebody. Just begin to intercede for them. Just begin to pray for them. Will you, Father, in the name of Jesus right now, you see every person who's standing. You know every hurt. You know every need. You know all the trouble. You know all the pain. You know everything associated with the people who stand in this room right now inviting you to come near to their problem, inviting you to come near to their circumstance. And Father, in the name of Jesus, the strong Son of God, we invite you right now to cover them with your presence and empower them with your strength. God, let them feel your love right now, but also let them feel your courage right now. Give them courage and give them confidence to bring you close to their circumstance. And may their lives never, ever, ever be the same. God, let them never take their eyes off the promise on the other side of their pain and let that promise produce power on the inside of them that enables them to stand when everything around them falls. Hear the prayers of your people. See the hearts of those who called on you and move on their behalf today in the name of Jesus, the strong, strong son of our living Savior, our living God, Jesus. And everybody who believes it, come on, put your hands together and thank God for his goodness and his grace in this place today. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Thank you. May the Lord bless you, keep you. May he be gracious to you and may his face shine upon you and give you peace. Pastor Chuck, thank you for trusting me with this sacred place. I know, I know you don't take this lightly. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to share with your people. God bless you. I love you. Mark, Pastor Mun, Nathan, I love you guys so much. All of our Next Exit family and the New Restoration Church family, I love you. Praying for you. Believe your best days are out in front of you. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for letting me share with you today.